0: Feel like we could re uh, just go over the lyrics of that song again, and that would be the sermon enough for today so powerful the the metaphor of anchor though is a little bit bittersweet for me right now because um, i uh i I didn't get the boat that I was wishing for for Christmas although some a lot of people did send me pictures I appreciate that I was getting to my like after first service last week I went into my office and checked some things and people are sending me emails of here's your boat kind of thing thanks appreciate that so i i i i didn't but i didn't even waste any time i didn't go down to the garage and open the door expecting it to be there and and stuff i was trying to to you know anchor my hope in some reality you know as much as my wife says she loves me i knew she wouldn't have the means to get me that boat but she could have tried just saying she could have tried i don't know I, I, you know, I was, I was hoping and wishing, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm grunting it out, Lord, if it just, oh, this would be great if, and I was dreaming and just, oh, and all my thoughts bent out. And I feel like all the Disney princesses that have indoctrinated my kids are lying to me because they said, believe, right? And anything you wish for can come true. That's all these songs are about. So tired of it, you know, where I had conversations with our kids all growing up all the time. about. now, so we know what the truth is, right? It's like, yeah, enjoy the song, sing it out loud, have fun with it. It's cute. But they were lying to me. I was wishing so hard everything I had wanted in life, you know, and it didn't come true. The reality is it's not really what I was expecting or, or really even wishing that hard for. But this is the way that we approach this stubborn little word called belief. And we're going to embark on a study that's probably going to take us the better part, if not the entirety, of 2021. Uh, as we go through the book of John together, the gospel account of John, because um, it will have some interruptions along the way and we'll sh- make some shifts topically and things like that. But, but the point of John, he gives us, he kind of lays it right in our lap, the gospel account of, of the apostle John. Right towards the end of the letter in chapter 20, he gives us these two verses that make it so accessible. John, why did you write this gospel? What was on your mind? He says in verse 30, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may, so that we may, so that I may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. So John's giving us this clue here that this idea, this modern fascination with belief as a cross your fingers and wish and hope for the best and just expect more positive outcome and all those sorts of things is so wishy-washy. There's nothing we can sink our teeth into. John says, no, that you would believe in the truth of the one who's come, that he really is who he said he is, that he really did what he said he would do, and that we would anchor our belief in something real. Now, the Bible defines faith as the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So it is true that not everything that we quote unquote believe makes a lot of sense to us humanly speaking. The math doesn't always add up. God does things that only God can do. God does things in his timing and in his way. He delivers when and how he wants and things. And so faith believes in something that we can't connect all the dots. But belief itself is also anchored and grounded in truth, in things that really happened for a real purpose, and that John wrote those things down several decades after the other three Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke were recorded, what are referred to as the synoptic Gospels, because they were written in a similar period of time. They had a similar vantage point of what was going on with Christianity at the time. And so even though they shared different stories from time to time or different highlighting of different aspects of stories, they they didn't contradict one another, of course, but they were writing in a similar period of time, a similar perspective. John's gospel comes several decades later with something else in mind. And I think this is important for us to camp on for just a second, because if you're new to the scriptures or you haven't studied your Bible yet, by the way, you're in good company, and that's what the Lord is always looking to bring new folks in and to, to, to disciple us or lead us in the way of growing in the word of God. But you might see these four gospels at the beginning of your New Testament and say they all seem to be saying some of the same things. Why are they covering all the same things? We have to remember that though the Holy Spirit of God moved in, men to write the scripture they used human hands and quill and parchment and all these things and they wrote these things down with their own perspective and their own experience coming through like you and i would see things differently than other people it was still the holy spirit that superintended the entire process to make sure the words that were penned were the words that god wanted the world to hear and what he wanted the world to know And so these synoptic gospels had a particular vantage point. John has a particular vantage point. Matthew is looking to emphasize for the, for the Jewish audience that their Messiah had come in Jesus. The, the Jews were long awaiting a Savior that was prophesied for them in the Old Testament. They thought He would come a certain way. And John, uh, Matthew wanted them to see He has come in the form of the one born in Nazareth, in, in Bethlehem, the, this Jesus from Nazareth. And so Matthew wants them to understand that He is the Messiah, the King of the Jews. Mark wants to elevate even through some stories that Matthew tells and Luke tells and their similarities. But he wants to take the other camera angle. If you're kind of directing the movie and he wants to look at it from this vantage point and he wants the world to see that Jesus was a sacrificial servant, that he came with the intent of laying his life down for the sins of many. Dr. Luke, as he records his gospel account, he's elev- elevating Jesus as the son of man, the greatest born amongst men because he is God in the flesh. And outsiders are welcome to this message where Matthew has much more of a, uh, uh, of a Hebrew focus. Luke is opening this whole thing up saying he is a savior to the Jew and the Gentile and wants the world to understand this, that even if you're an outsider, this hope, this gospel is for you. And then several decades later, as John is seeing Gnosticism, Stoicism, all these other Greek philosophies moving in and starting to mingle and mix with the gospel message and start to cause a bit of a threat, the Holy Spirit moves in John. It's now time to pen your experiences. It's now time to write these things down. The, the temple has been destroyed and the Jewish people have been uh, ransacked, if you will, or occupied by, by Rome. And so now there's no centrality of worship. And, and John's bringing Jesus to the forefront saying the center of our worship is and always was going to be Jesus. And so John is laying this out there for the world to see the son of God has this universal appeal. That's why the gospel of John is one of the most widely distributed portions of scripture ever. You'll see all kinds of just singular publications of the gospel of John. And when we talk to somebody who's saying, I don't really know how to do this Christianity thing, or how am I supposed to follow God or hear the voice of the Lord? A lot of times people put the gospel of John in their hands. Because it's, it's highly evangelistic, which means giving the truth of the word of God to somebody to hear the voice of God, to be saved from their sins. There's so much in there, especially when we get to John chapter three, we're going to see this message so clear, but it's not just for the, the new believer or the non-believer that John has, has laced in so much theology and doctrine that we're going to experience along the way. John has this unique perspective because he sees all of this creeping into the church and he begins to pen his letter. And it opens with these first 18 verses that we're going to fly over today, kind of quickly and a little bit clunky, if I am being honest with you. It's not real smooth and flowy sermon kinds of stuff. It's a little bit more academic, a little bit more setting the stage for the places that we'll be going but he gives us these first 18 verses that lay out major themes that he's going to play out over and over and over again. When we see some of the old familiar stories about what Jesus does with people and for people and all the experiences that he goes through, we're going to see some of these perspectives playing out and new light being shed on it. So let's do this together. Let's go through 18 verses, start to finish together. I'll do the heavy lifting. I sense today we're a little bit exhausted from... 2020 and from Christmas anticipating new year, all that, right? You feeling me? We all kind of wiped out. Let me do the work this morning. Put your feet up. There's plenty of space. You can, you have plenty of room for your feet. Relax. If I see a couple of people nodding off, you get a pass today. It's been a weird year. Verse one in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, not the author of this gospel, but John the Baptist, who we just talked about last week. Verse 7 backs up what we were talking about. It says, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light that he was bearing witness to is what they're saying, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John, again, John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray together. Lord God, I want to thank you for bringing us to this portion of scripture. And Lord, I already know uh, that I do not have the depth or intellect to draw all that you have said in this book. Lord, I know all of us fall short of fully comprehending the truth that you are giving to us, Lord, but your spirit sheds more and more light that you give us more and more comprehension of your truth. So, Lord, I pray that we would go through this journey together and discover uh, the, the depths of all that you intend for us to know, but not just to have our heads full, Lord, that you would cause us to be people of action, that our belief would inform our next steps and that belief would be informed. By the truth of who Jesus is. So I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us in this time. I pray that you would prepare us for this journey together. And I pray, Lord, you would be honored and glorified in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the first three verses, we get this incredible introduction, like the opening scene of a movie of all that's about to unfold. We heard that it was in the beginning that the word existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. I don't know if you're a Bible memory person. Sometimes people will study some verses to, to memorize and kind of get in their heads and something to draw on. It's an, it's a, a very helpful practice and one that we can never get enough of. But if you're not sure where to begin, I would suggest John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hughes says this simple sentence of verse 1 is the most compact, impulsating theological statement in all of Scripture. Jesus was already existing from all of eternity as God, in perfect fellowship with God the Father, and though he's not mentioned here in this text, perfect fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He is the cosmic Christ. What we're going to do is we're going to take, we're going to break down these 18 verses in three sections for our overview purposes this morning. And what I want to call our attention to in each section of this scripture, we're going to see four characteristics or four aspects of who God is. And they all start with P's because that's what preachers do. And you know, my encouragement to you is as you're saying this alliteration, you got to, you got to punch it out. You got to say it, you know, and make it prominent as you're saying your P's. But we're in a COVID era. Should probably do it with a mask on. So let's do these four things. We'll revisit it each and every time in this repetitive cycle. We are going to look for the permanence of Jesus. We're going to look for the presence, the preeminence, which is the superiority of Jesus. And of course, the power of Jesus is going to be unmistakable and on display and full display for us as we go forward. So already in these first three verses, we have all four of those things showing up. The the phrase in the beginning was the word is pointing us towards his permanence because Jesus, though it's ironic we just celebrated his birth, really didn't have a beginning. I I, uh, was talking to a teacher a couple weeks ago, and I asked her, what grade do you teach? And she said, third grade. And I said, you know, it's weird. I feel like my life started in third grade. It didn't. Obviously, I was born before then, and it took me eight or nine years to get there. But I remember those first eight or nine years in snippets, and I feel like life kind of came into full color somewhere around third grade. I started paying attention to things more. I remember the first girlfriend. I remember that first girlfriend, breaking up with me really quick wasn't very kind of her so trina a if you're watching don't call me we're doing fine now <laughs> but i remember life came into focus in 3rd grade and i can look back and i so i said to this teacher i said you know i wonder how true that is like they're going to remember that first stop you know they're going to remember that time in your classroom and all these kinds of things but but there's a finiteness to my to my existence right Even even the seven or eight years preceding third grade, I don't have a lot of memory of. Not that hard to go back and find out more about those things. But for me, my experience was it had a starting point much later on. If you want to blow your mind, you want to think about the eternality of of Jesus, we think about eternity as the thing that never ends. Watch it crack your brain wide open when you think about it, it never began. Think about the fact that Father, Son, Spirit... Three distinct persons of the triune God had always were well wait a second, someone must have realized we need a holy spirit. Someone must have said we need a son that must have been in the birth of it it's not there that eternity pre-existent presence, Jesus is permanent his presence the phrase the next phrase says the word was. With God, And by the way, I meant to say this before that capital W on word is referring to Jesus. And there's a lot to that that we'll be able to explain. And we're going to go back and look over these 18 verses in the next several weeks. And we'll be able to talk about this idea of word and light and those things in more detail. But suffice it to say for now that this presence of Jesus is that he is one with God. And that's the part that we fall short of trying to explain, you know, a, a lot of times the, the, the word Trinity is our, is our theological definition for the triune Godhead, but we don't have that word in the scripture. We don't have that explanation. What we have is the instances of scripture that say that God, the father was present. God, the son was present. God, the Holy spirit was present, all existing at the same time, all still God, but distinct persons. And we go, well, I don't know how to explain that. So over the years we've said, well, it's like an egg, you know, you got a shell, you got a yolk, and you've got a, a, what is the white stuff called? Egg whites is all we call it. You got all that stuff going on. It's all three distinct pieces, all one egg, but still falls short. It starts messing with our. Well, that makes it sound like God is this, and we say, well, water is all the same in different forms. It's it's water, then it's it's ice, then it's water, then it's gas or something like that. But it's all H two O, and it's like, yeah, but that. That almost makes it sound like God started as God the Father and God the Son and became the Holy Spirit. And there are branches of, of religion out there that teach that, that God morphed or shifted, even though the scriptures don't teach us that. We struggle with this. There are these massive themes and concepts in our theology where we go, we're just not going to comprehend all this. Not because it doesn't add up or make sense in the sense that it, it doesn't work. We just can't wrap our heads around it presence of jesus is that the word was with god he is one with god though he is a distinct son of god the next phrase the word was god means that his preeminence or his superiority is that he is god in essence and in character even they the the followers of jesus said well we want to see the father you seem to have access to everything and if we're going to believe who you are let us meet him and he says if you've seen me You've seen the father that that I am him, though I am not him in person. It's incredible that he's God in essence and character. And then John seems fit to include this idea of this kind of repetitive pile on top of pile statement where he says, um, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And we say, okay, that's not the way we would say that in English. We wouldn't pile on top, but the the phrase is that nothing was made. Nothing sustains without his effort, without his strength, without his control. Colossians 1 says, for by him, all things were created. The more you look into how things are created by his spoken word, be this. Go here, build that. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. When you hear us saying so many times during our worship or from the pulpit or in our small groups, you hear this theme over and over and over again that may our lives reflect you. We are here for you because we are his creation. Verse 17, and he is before all things, And in him, all things hold together. So the eternal God, who is Jesus, isn't just because he never dies or never ends, but because he always was. One theologian says he always was wasing. So put that in your notes. Always was wasing. In case you were wondering, the eternal Jesus, all that's wrapped up in his eternity is, is all this power, creative ability, sustaining ability, superiority. This is the Jesus that will be on display through the gospel of John. But he doesn't stop there with the metaphor. He's, he talks of Jesus as the word, but he also moves on in verse four. He says in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It's a bit cliche sometimes for Christians to say that Jesus is the light of the world. But when we really stop and think about what it means for him to be light, and we're not even talking just physical light. It's not like as Jesus walked around and had supper with his friends or grew up in his parents' house, he was like a glowing orb. That because he was the son of God, we see that in the pictures and everything to make, to identify the saints or the son of God or something. He didn't have this like glowing halo, but there were times that Jesus was recorded as physically emanating light, and we've even got a promise of him being light in the future. Matthew 17 records this experience called the transfiguration. There's a lot going on here that we wouldn't have time or even ability to fully comprehend. This glorification of the humanity of Jesus to see the uh, the fact that he's the Son of God, and he's transfigured before just a, a handful of his followers, who are privileged and blessed enough to see it. And, ver- and uh, Matthew 17 says, "In his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light." Speaking of future things and the arrival of the city that God has built uh, in the future. Revelation 21 says the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the lamb, capital L, the sacrificial one, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the presence of Jesus at times has even been a physical light and is indicated for us, excuse me. In the heavens as the presence of light, his preeminence or his superiority as we go back through our four P's, his preeminence is that Jesus is not just talking about uh, uh, a life that is when it when when John writes that the light was the life. He's not just talking about the fact that we have air in our lungs. It's not just saying that we have the ability or the need to eat. Or to go about in our existence, he's talking about a quality of life. He's talking about a rescuing of life, a providing of the full encompassing life that we have in Jesus. So this light that we get from Jesus is not just a physical light, but a spiritual one. He says of himself later on in the letter in chapter 8, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have The light of life. The phrase that this light shines in the darkness gives us an understanding of Jesus' permanence. There's our third P showing up again. Because what's really going on here in the translation is that light shining in the darkness, we'd say, okay, well that's great to know. It's good when we have light in darkness, and it only takes sometimes a very small light to be able to see our way around, doesn't it? Right now, our sun goes down early, our houses are darker and dimmer, and if you're like me, where you're kind of up and moving around before the rest of the family's up and everything, you'll take a little bit of light and run a long way with it. Just being able to see that first step before you start, you know, and all that's helpful. You have a little bit of light, you know what's going on doesn't take a lot to make a a penetrating impact on the darkness. This is the power of light. And fortunately for us, Jesus is not just a little bit of light. But it's more than just an an available light. It's a permanent light. I don't know. Let me take a poll here real quick. We uh, had stocking stuffers this year, no doubt. How many of you got some LED flashlights? Anybody? It's so funny. Like First service, there's one or two people. I saw one one hand just go up this morning. You guys are blowing it on your stocking stuffers. Now, I'm I'm going to be a little bit sexist here because I said this and a couple of ladies corrected me. But guys, I mean, folks, dudes love LED anything. If you're like, I don't know what to get them. Get them a package of anything that says LED on it and it'll work. I, I don't know how many flashlights we have around the house. But every time I get another flashlight, I'm like, I really needed that. I don't know what it is. We like our LED and that's when one of the women said, Woo, girls like it too, you know." I know it's 2020. We got to be fair. Make sure everybody is an equal LED appreciator. <laughs> in our in our experience, right? We always it's it's kind of like when you need the light the most, you have to. Why is it? Who didn't change the batteries in this thing? That's what's so great about LED. Is it supposed to last forever? Anybody had an LED that did not last forever? Gosh, you guys are terrible on my, on my polling here. Uh let's see. What do you guys want to talk about? Trying to think what if you, I I feel like I'm like speaking to everyone's like, you don't know our experience at all. It's like, you don't even know us with Jesus. This phrase of this light shines in the darkness. It means it's permanent. It's continual, always available. There's no kind of, why isn't this thing turning on? That this light of life, this capital L life that we have is in full supply all the time. Again, our fourth P here of of Jesus power coming through this phrase of the darkness has not overcome it, which means it doesn't consume the light. It doesn't overtake it. It can't even handle the light that's being thrust upon it. Jesus is a conquering light. You see this pattern going on here where the light is revealed, it, that it's spoken into existence as far as let there be light. And the earth set, you know, is aware now that light is shown up on the scene. We understand that the light of Jesus always has been, is always wasn't. It's always been there. And that this light is is coming on the scene and it's, and it's being revealed to us. But there are always some who will reject it. There are always some that will just do this. It's just a little too bright or it's a little too invasive or it's giving me a headache. Would you please turn down the wattage a little bit? And it, And it would seem as though, from what we understand from scripture and our own experiences, that most reject this light. That most are doing this, like stop shining so bright. We just don't need this right now. But because this is a relentless, powerful, conquering light, it doesn't satisfy, it's not satisfied with just saying, well, I tried, they didn't want me, so I left. Jesus says, well, you might not have wanted me, but others will. And there are many that have received the light so it goes from being revealed to rejected to eventually received. This light will not lose. And I love how John gives us this next uh, statement, which isn't necessarily as metaphorically powerful as word and light and life and the other things that he's given us, but it's a perfect cap, cap to uh, what we've discussed already. We're going to see this in verses 14 through 18. Verse 14 said, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The message Bible translation, I don't know if some of you have seen that before. It's kind of a, it's, it's really a, a paraphrase. It's not like word for word and getting the language all right, but it's meant to bring some color and understanding to certain things. And I like the way the message phrases this one, where it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It says that it moved in, that Jesus came and moved into the neighborhood. Cause that's really what's going on in the language here is that the, the Word of God, who is Jesus, the Incarnate One, tabernacled with us in their language. We're tented. Said, I'm, I'm gonna live with you guys. I'm gonna be in your presence. I'm gonna, I'm gonna experience your same existence. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've seen His glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father full of grace. In truth. Hebrews tells us in chapter 4 that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Why would Jesus be able to sympathize with the difficulty you're going through? Because he moved onto your street. Because he saw what you've been going through. He knows the, the weariness of this life. He understands the temptation that has come your way. Fortunately, that passage finishes with the fact that he was tempted like we were, but he didn't give in to it. He remained a pure savior. He remained a pure sacrifice, but he gets it. He understands why this draw happens on us. He understands the pressure and the fatigue and everything that we go through, the weariness of this life, because he tabernacled with us. He moved in. He's got the pulse of the city. He understands what we're experiencing. That is the presence of Jesus seen in this. Now we're in a new section. So we started our first P with presence. We're going to go through our next one. We see his power in the confession of John where he says, and we have seen your translation may say we have beheld his glory. We've already talked about this transfiguration that happens that John was able to witness this amazing moment to see Jesus transformed in such a powerful way. But don't forget, they've also seen him raise the dead and heal the sick and tell demons, get over here and do that. Even telling the sea, shut up, calm down, lay down again. They have seen the immense power of Jesus on display and they say, we have beheld his glory. His superiority comes from John the Baptist's statement where he says, he ranks before me, even though I'm coming ahead of his earthly presence to announce his arrival. It's the strangest thing, isn't it? John says, I'm here to announce somebody who's already been here. I'm here to introduce you to someone who always was wasn't. That's my role. It's to talk to you about somebody you should have known already. To point out to you someone you should have seen in all the scriptures over thousands of years that you missed. John says, he ranks before me because he was before me. So we have that preeminence of Jesus coming through again. Verses 16 and 17 say, for from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. We sung this song together as a congregation many times over the years, grace on top of grace. You and I trip over ourselves, we commit sin, we fall into temptation, we blow it, and we say there's no way he can forgive us, and yet we find that he does. We find that he dusts us off again, picks us back up, sends us along the right the right way, molding us and changing us to be different than we were before so that those moments happen less and less, but we find that we can't get to the bottom of the barrel of his grace. It looks like there's just a little bit left and it just never runs dry. His permanence is this continual overflow of grace when it's needed. John tells us that the law in verse 17 was given through Moses and the law was beneficial for all of mankind. The law did a lot of great things. It revealed the heart of God. It says, this is what God cares about. If you want to know what a holy God is and what he, what, how he conducts himself and what he expects of his creation, everything here it is. And the law put it on full display. And the law also served us a great deal of helping us understand how far short of that perfection we fell. But it itself did not do all the job. That was the plan all along, that the law would be given to us to say, you're going to need more than this, though. You're going to need something else to make up the gap because this is going to trip you up. So John says the law was given through Moses. And we all applaud Moses, especially as the Hebrew people. Moses was the man. This is great. He gave us the law through Moses, but you're missing the rest of it. Grace and truth came through the pre-existent eternal one. So Jesus, who deserves nothing but our praise and honor, He deserves nothing but us to escalate, to, to elevate Him in all of His glory, came and tabernacled with sinful people in order to show the Father's grace. This might be a subtle point, but I just want us to think about it for a second, is that we we sometimes we we wrestle with this idea, why would God create mankind if he knows everything and he knows they're going to sin? Why would he do it? When we start to understand the characteristics of God and we understand the nature of God, we understand that he's just being who he is. He's a creator, so he's going to create. He's lover, so he's going to love He's going to create the objects that he will love. If he is a God of grace, this isn't something he just decided, oh man, these people are blowing it. I got to go find some grace. God preexistent pre eternity past was a God of grace, but wanted a race to show it to knowing we would need it. So his grace was on display in the name, in the face of Jesus. As he came to this earth. So let's go back to the beginning. This idea of belief as a wish. Or hoping for better days. Or hoping for our dreams to come true. Sort of that magical Disney sort of. uh, I can just put my wish efforts into this. And everything will go my way. Belief anchored in illuminated truth. Is what you and I need. That the light of the world came to shine light on the scriptures. To make this truth accessible to us. So as the Holy Spirit is in us and illuminating this truth, these principles for our life, we awaken to their reality. And this belief, this uh, we're going to do what we believe kind of mindset and understanding is going to prompt action that leads to real life instead of the life that has let us down. And freedom in life is only found from this grace upon grace upon grace that Jesus gives us. So as we get uh, looking forward to where we're going to go in John together, I'm going to challenge you to take up some initiatives in 2021. Isn't it weird that we can start saying in the 20s? Somebody said that the other day. Well, the 20s are going to be, and I was like, wow, that's weird. We're going to say, but how are we going to move into the 20s, even though we feel like we're off to such a terrible start in so many ways? I would encourage God's people to take up studying this very important letter that you put your nose in the letter of the gospel of John, just a little bit more than you would normally, because I know it's easy to come and say, okay, hopefully Brent's put some time in and prepared for things. And we're going to get some insights and things like that. But I would challenge you to almost keep me on my toes by pushing me. Hey, I already studied that. I already know that part. Keep going. Get us deeper. Get us more. To, to take up your own study in the book of John and i'm going to do my part to give you notes and to try to pinpoint the um the next passage we'll be going into next week you can read ahead i've included in the notes a couple of recommended commentaries and things like that if you're not much of a commentary person the reason why i put the ones i put in there is because i find them to be quite readable um uh and and, and sort of daily applicable kinds of things and stuff Uh, We're not talking about exhaustive study. We're not talking about expecting everybody to have 10 different books out on their desk and trying to get to all the hidden mysteries and everything. But just how do we pay attention to this letter a little bit more? How do we, as we look into it like a mirror, how do we ask the Lord to expose the faulty or the breakdown parts of our belief system? God, I know I don't have full faith. I know I don't believe in all that I should, but as I encounter your truth and the reality of who you are, point out to me the parts in my operating system that are faulty and failing me and then move towards acting on the belief that Jesus is who he says he is. We assume that of one another, right? Right? You assume that of me. I assume that of you. That we are faithful to the Lord's uh, word. We're we're faithful to be here and present and all these things. We're faithful to shine a light out in there. But it's sometimes so uh, easy for us to get off track of just the fact that if Jesus is real, if he really is who he said he is, how is that informing my behavior? How is that informing my 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 uh, accepting of the grace that he's shown me? How am I walking in that? How am I living in that? How am I displaying that for others to see? These are things that we can't take for granted. We've been challenged this year quite uniquely, I think. And it's caused all of us to have this kind of deconstruction of our norms and our forms, the things that we've put comfort in and the things that we can have some reliability in. If the Lord is doing this all to wake up God's people and to challenge us into something new, is this your opportunity to do that? I believe the Gospel of John is going to challenge us in some incredible ways. I think just any time we can come back to studying the life and the words of Jesus himself, I find it to be incredibly refreshing and instructive. But I think it's going to take on even more meaning for us in 2021. So I'm inviting you to this process. I'm inviting you to this study. And I'm asking for your prayers and your participation as we go forward. And now I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's go ahead and prepare to... Close out our time with a song of worship. Lord God, thank you for bringing us to your word. And thank you for being faithful to show us who you are. And God, you know it's my prayer that Jesus is the star of everything we do going forward. That you are, uh, Lord Jesus, the uh, preeminent one in all of our discussion and all of our focus. Lord, we know that the more we look at you, we see life. So God, help us to see you clearer and clearer every passing moment, every passing scripture, and every act of obedience, Lord, may we continue to see you. But Lord, there are so many of us that are struggling with this concept of grace upon grace. And Lord, I know that you have more in measure for them. Help us to walk in it this year. Help us to be renewed by the fact that you don't continue to condemn us. It's not that you don't correct behavior or deal with the sin in our lives. You're not passive, but your wrath was shown on the cross. And so, Lord, I pray as we continue to walk in this grace that we would understand more and more of your love for us and the true life that awaits us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.